Today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. The conversation around prevention is important for both people who don't have cancer and don't want to get cancer. The second you have a diagnosis of breast cancer, the first, very first thing that you have to be thinking about is prevention. Because the most likely scenario in all comers who get breast cancer is that they're going to get through this. But get through this for what? Because if they're just getting through this to get to their next diagnosis, then we really haven't done them a favor. And that is a big problem with how we treat breast cancer and what you started to allude to in that I don't think of it as too late unless all you do is follow the conventional paradigm. Hello, hello. I'm your host for today, Dr. Carrie Jones. And today I am talking with Dr. Jen Simmons, a breast cancer surgeon turned functional medicine practitioner with decades of experience. I had her on the show because there's been a lot of controversy around breast cancer, what causes breast cancer, how do you prevent breast cancer, and even the hormone estrogen. Jen goes into detail on all of it, and given her breast cancer surgeon background, she was the perfect person to come onto the show. So if you have questions around breast cancer, prevention, or even the common question, does estrogen cause breast cancer? Can you do estrogen if you've had breast cancer? You're gonna wanna listen up. You're gonna learn a lot. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course, are supplements. There is a lot of confusion around supplements and you only wanna take the best quality that uses top tier certified manufacturers and most importantly, do third-party independent testing to make sure what's on the label is in the capsule. That's why I've teamed up with New Ethics Formulations as their chief medical officer. The team already had a strong history in the supplement world, but started the company to really focus on bettering your health and helping to enhance your physique or performance goals. I'm excited to help them continue to focus on the endocrine system and hormones as it relates to glucose, thyroid, estrogen, and even your gut microbiome. Right now, you can get 20% off one order using code DRJONES20 at newethics.com. That's drjones20 at newethics.com today. Now, let's get on with the show. Dr. Jen, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I am so excited to have you on to talk today all about breast health, like really the reality, the truth behind breast health, breast cancer, and of course, estrogen. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. And talking about the thing that I like to talk about the most. Jen reached out to me on social media and we were talking about breast health for the month of October. And I thought, what better guest to have on than a breast surgeon turned functional medicine practitioner? How did you even get into this? Or how did you turn into this? Tell us your story. I come by the breast cancer thing very organically. I really never knew a time in my life where I didn't know about cancer. As a child, I had a hero, a first cousin. Her name was Linda Creed. She was a singer-songwriter in the 1970s and 1980s. She wrote all the music for the spinners and the stylistics, which you're too young to know that. I know the spinners. (laughs) (laughs) And she wrote 54 hits in her very short career. And her... Probably the most well-known song that she ever wrote was The Greatest Love of All. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. She wrote that song in 1977 for, as the title track to the movie The Greatest, starring Muhammad Ali. But it really received its acclaim in March of 1986 when Whitney Houston released that song to the world. And at that time, it would spend 14 weeks at the top of the charts. Only Linda would never know because she died of metastatic breast cancer one month after Whitney released that song. Oh, my gosh. Linda's life and ultimately her death gave birth to my life's purpose. I never wanted another woman, another family, another community to have to suffer the way that mine suffered. I did the only thing I knew how to do. I became a doctor. I became a surgeon. I became a breast surgeon. I became the first fellowship-trained breast surgeon in Philadelphia. And I did that for a really long time, and I did it really well. I did it long enough to see my aunt diagnosed. I did it long enough to see my mother diagnosed. And I still did not necessarily see the writing on the walls. And then in 2016, I got sick. I went from being probably one of the most high-functioning people you'll ever meet in your life, superwoman-y, capable of doing anything, leaping a tall building in a single bound. I go from that to basically being someone who can't walk across a room without being winded. And I undergo this extensive workup, and three days later, I find myself sitting in the office of my friend and colleague and physician, and he tells me that I need surgery and chemo radiation, and I'm going to be on lifelong medication. And I appreciated the irony. I knew that these were things that I said to people all day, every day, without hesitation or reservation. I knew that this was standard of care. And I knew when I refused treatment that my doctor would say to me what I had said to thousands of women before, that if you don't do this, you're going to die. And it's not that I didn't believe him. It's that something inside of me told me that there was more and that there was something different. Now, know that I am a traditionally trained physician. I was running an NIH-accredited cancer center. I'm running a department. I am steeped in conventional medicine. Both my mother and my aunt were completely treated with conventional medicine. And something gnawed at me. Something told me that there was something more. I decided that I would start with nutrition and nourishment and figuring out the more because the more I went on Dr. Google, which was something that was far more reliable then than it is now. Now, finding the truth on Google is near impossible. But then you could. And I kept seeing references to diet, 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 and how diet could turn around chronic disease and things like that. I enrolled in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which is a certificate coaching course, essentially. And I enrolled with great trepidation, thinking that I'm a physician and I've been doing this for 20 years and what could they possibly teach me and what could I possibly learn? But they assured me time and time again that, in fact, I would learn something there. I go and I'm listening to one of the very first talks and a man named Mark Hyman walks on the stage and introduces himself as a functional medicine physician. And my snooty booty self says, there's no such thing as a functional medicine physician. What is this quack talking about? And then I remembered that I'm sick and I'm there for a reason. 
and I check my ego at the door and listen up. And thank God I did. Because within moments of him speaking, I know exactly why I got sick. I got sick so that I could be in that room, in that seat, on that day, listening to him speak. Because what he's saying not only explains everything for me, but it opens up the door to my future. Because I know that how we are quote-unquote treating cancer is so very misguided. And while I was so intent on change and conversation around breast cancer, I was not doing it as a surgeon. And as a surgeon, I was merely transporting people from one stage of their disease and illness to the next. And maybe I was delaying a recurrence by cutting out cancer, but I certainly wasn't changing the trajectory that they're on. And we know that breast cancer is a manifestation of chronic inflammation, just like there are many other diseases that are manifestations of chronic inflammation. It just so happens that things like the breast or the thyroid, they have a small bucket. They don't tolerate environmental insults as well as other things do. I learned that by focusing on the tumor, what we focus on grows. And the tumor is merely the symptom of the problem. The tumor is never the problem. The tumor is the symptom of the problem. And what I learned there is that unless we get people off of that trajectory, unless we intervene at the level of what is causing the inflammation, what is inciting this imbalance then you're really not changing the ultimate outcome for people because even if they don't recur with a breast cancer, they're going to manifest some other kind of illness. Most women will get heart disease and it is by far and away the number one killer of women. We all walk around thinking that we have the breast cancer target on our back. But the truth is that what we really have on our back is the heart disease target. And in every decade of a woman's life, beyond 30, women die exponentially more of heart disease than they do of breast cancer. And yet, we are so focused on that breast cancer, and we're so focused on the breast cancer that we're ignoring the rest of the playing field. We are completely missing the forest for the trees. 100%. This is so great. And this is, I love her for everyone who's not following on her on Instagram or any social media, please do. She is a wealth of knowledge, especially having come from the surgeon background for two decades and then moving into functional medicine. But I love this because I find I was always frustrated that I would see any kind of cancer. We're talking breast. And it was about breast cancer awareness, which I think is very important. And a lot of the money as I would watch, NIH stands for the National Institutes for Health, or the CDC or whatever group is giving out funding, was always for how do we treat and address breast cancer, which is noble, but on the flip side, a lot of my patients, and I am not an oncologist, I did not dabble in cancer care, but I had a lot of women that said, I don't want it. What can I do to prevent it? And why aren't we talking about that? And why when I see prevention, the, the, the pink things out there, it's on soda cans and it's on alcoholic drinks and it's on yeah. sugary stuff that's to get me to buy pink. What is the deal? And I thought, man, my patients really have a point. Yeah, you're so right. Can we talk about that prevention side now? 
Yeah, absolutely. And the conversation around prevention is important for both people who don't have cancer and don't want to get cancer. The second you have a diagnosis of breast cancer, the first, very first thing that you have to be thinking about is prevention. Because the most likely scenario in all comers who get breast cancer is that they're going to get through this. But get through this for what? Because if they're just getting through this to get to their next diagnosis, then we really haven't done them a favor. And that is a big problem with how we treat breast cancer and what you started to allude to in that I don't think of it as too late unless all you do is follow the conventional paradigm. And I agree with you in that the money that is allotted to breast cancer I talk about this all the time, especially in the month of October. We have to think before we pink. (laughs) Because if what you're giving your money to, if what you're supporting is one of these companies that makes a product or endorses a product that actually contributes to cancer, what are we doing? We're paying them to create cancer and give a little money to research. It doesn't make sense. And... I'm not saying that the fact that these companies want to give something back isn't well-intentioned. It is. And so much of it, there is a lot of misunderstanding about what does and doesn't cause breast cancer. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what breast cancer is. For so many years, we grew up thinking that things were good for us that weren't, things were bad for us that weren't. Like, there's been so much misinformation. I mean, My formative years were in the 70s and early 80s. And during that time, we were all taught fat is bad, fat is bad, fat is bad. As a teenager, I would look at a handful of nuts or an avocado and be like, no, no, I can't eat that. That's bad for me. We all come to it with so much misinformation and there's so much unlearning that we need to do. And think about something that like yogurt. We all grew up thinking that yogurt was good for us. And even better if you could get the fat-free kind. Yep. Yoplait does exactly what Yoplait should do. It makes its packaging pink in the month of October and it sells a ton of yogurt. Unfortunately, that's garbage. It's garbage. And I'm sorry to pick on Yoplait. I can pick on any of them. That just name comes to mind. I don't know why. But they're not worse than anyone else or I'm better than anyone else. (laughs) So much of the prepared food market, it's just bad for you. It's just bad for you. I think that the conversation about prevention needs to start early and continue throughout your life because we're always preventing even after we get diagnosed. What that means is that we need to have our bodies functioning optimally. This is the paramount theory in functional medicine is that we are looking for optimal function. And that can be achieved at any age, at any stage, because the body inherently knows how to heal. We need to give the body what it needs and take away what it doesn't. What does that look like on a practical basis? That looks like feeding your body real food, getting the processed food out of your diet. And while you're at it, getting all the chemicals that can be put on real food out of your diet, eating organic when you can. I get tons of backlash for saying that. Not everyone can afford organic food, blah, 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 blah. I think the truth is, at the end of the day, if all you're doing is eating real food, I believe that is affordable. If you don't have to eat fresh vegetables, you can eat 
frozen vegetables, you can eat canned vegetables. It is doable and affordable when you take all the junk food out. And all the extraneous stuff that has nothing to do with food that is in our supermarkets. Because there is just garbage upon garbage upon garbage lining the aisles of our supermarkets. And taking the other things that are so commonly seen in our American diet, like alcohol. We have completely normalized alcohol, and alcohol is directly related to both the initial diagnosis of breast cancer and certainly to breast cancer recurrence, just directly related. We have to be cognizant about what we're eating and making sure that we are eating real food. And then beyond that, we are meant to be, we are all nomadic people. We weren't ever meant to stay still. We traveled around for food, for shelter. We're meant to move and sedentary lifestyle is killing us. We have to have healthy ways of dealing with the stressors of life. They're ever present. They're always out there. And if you're using alcohol or pot or any other unhealthy method to numb the pain of everyday life, this is not going to work out well. The body is keeping score. Stress does change our physiology. And then all the toxins that are in our environment. The sleep. We have a huge sleep issue in this country. We do not value sleep. We think of people who value sleep as lazy or incompetent. And chronic sleep deprivation makes us more likely to get all chronic diseases all chronic diseases, and our body simply does not function without sleep. There are a number of very important processes that happen when we sleep. And if you're not sleeping, they're not happening. If you're not sleeping, your body is not healing. It is not detoxifying. It's not doing any of the purging that it is supposed to do. Your brain won't work and your gut won't work and your heart won't work and you won't work. It just won't work. All of those big pillars I talk about all the time And what we all need to ultimately understand is that cancer is a normal response to an abnormal environment. There are things that cause an actual chemical environmental shift within us. And like we talked about in the beginning, the breast is one of those organs that is just sensitive to environmental shift. Like any animal that is backed up against a wall, If you change that chemical environment of the breast, those breast cells go right into survival mode. They are like, what is going on here? I'm just going to go into survival mode until you figure it out. And the vast majority of people don't figure it out because that's not how our medical system works. That's not what we think about. We don't think about driving health. We don't think about promoting health. And having gone to medical school and done residency training and fellowship in this country, I can tell you that it's not part of the conversation at any point. When we direct everything at killing and fighting and all of that, we're just met with violence and unrest in our bodies. We have to approach this differently and we have to think about it as a healing journey. And when you do that, and when you drive health, disease goes away. And you see it firsthand because you are actively seeing patients. Yeah. And you're talking to them about this day in and day out, in person, online, et cetera. And I would imagine it's night and day difference. If you compared the patient outcomes you see now, 
compared with the patient outcomes you saw five, 10 years ago, I would imagine, let's say 10 years ago, it's completely different. Completely different. As a surgeon, it is truly a great privilege. And I will tell you that there is no greater privilege than having the trust of someone in that situation, in the most vulnerable time of their lives, at the most vulnerable moment of their lives. Because a breast cancer diagnosis, it just crushes you. It just crushes you. You're at a personal low, never been more terrified, and then you literally hand your life over to someone and you go to sleep on their table and trust that they will take supreme care of you. Everything I have is from God. It was an enormous privilege to be able to do that. And I would never trade it. It prepared me for who I am today. And it gave me the ability to speak with such authority and knowledge. Because had I not seen that, had I not known that, having been a surgeon, I actually inherently understand how the body works. I watched it firsthand in action. It was an invaluable experience, not only from a surgical standpoint, but from a connection standpoint, because I was allowed to enter people's lives at this most critical point. And I already had a deep understanding of the disease and the effects of the disease, but this really gave me the experience that wasn't emotionally tied to my family. And it allowed me to have an emotional connection that wasn't personal because we can't always see when it's about us. I'm so grateful for that time in my life, but even more grateful that I had the opportunity to now see and know the other side and be able to truly help people change their health for the rest of their lives. Because just because we live longer doesn't mean that we necessarily live better. And when you look at what the last 10 years of people's lives are like in this country, it's a miserable existence. The vast majority of it is spent hospitalized, immobile, disconnected. And that's really not life. It's not life. And when I see people celebrating the new drug approvals that get people an extra six weeks of life, and listen, I don't want to judge. If that's how you want to spend the last six weeks of your life and you want to embrace that, that is your decision. And I'm not saying that people, we shouldn't have those drugs, but I don't exactly think that is cause for celebration, especially when I know that if you would change the way you eat and change the way you live and change the way you move and change the way you think and change the way you sleep, we're not talking about six weeks of a miserable existence. We're talking about years of a healthy existence. My goal for people is to have them die young at a very old age, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's ultimately what we're striving for. We're striving for optimal function and that can happen. But we have to give the body what it needs and take away what it doesn't. Absolutely. My husband says to me all the time, you're so disciplined. You're such a disciplined person around your health. And I said, my family lives a very long time. I genetically, short of something awful, God forbid, I'm going to live a really long time. 80s, 90s for sure. And I want to be traveling 
and enjoying and be able to lift my suitcase and play with grandkids and great grandkids into my 80s and 90s without issue because I agree with you. I think, unfortunately, that last 10 years for a lot of people is not great. And what happens is it's become normalized because it's common as opposed to looking at that going, what the heck, what could I do sooner to thrive for the many decades and not have those miserable last couple of years, 10 years versus, oh, that's just what happens. That's what happened with grandma. That's what happened with my aunties. It just is, oh, it's common. It's not normal. Yeah. I think it a large part of that comes from that whole American mentality where we basically dispose of our elders. They just get to a point where we see them as not useful anymore. It's probably driven by the retirement age in this country. And we just decided that you're done, you're past, you're prime, you're not worthy. Because when you look at the blue zone populations, the populations around the world that live well into well over 100 years, these people are really valuing their elders. Their elders hold very high places and very high esteem in their society. They are looking to their elders. Their elders are their wise people. They have an integral role in that society. And those societies, yes, they eat better than we do. They don't have processed food. There's very little dairy in their diets. There's no chemicals. They're getting lots of exposure to sunlight. They're walking everywhere. They're not driving from here to there. And they don't have the stressors that we have. They have multi-generational living. You're not worried about childcare and stuff like that because there's always an adult around. And that really translates into health. Whereas if we put grandma and grandpa in the chair over there and we don't pay attention to them anymore and they're disconnected from society and they're not working anymore and they don't have any real purpose, when we don't have real purpose, we go. We all need something to live for. And that's probably the number one predictor of who lives and how long they live is how much purpose they have. We all have stories of people who said, I just want to live to see my kid graduate. I just want to live to see my daughter get married. And they die the next day. That's all they live for. Purpose is a huge life factor, a huge driving factor. And it's so important. And as Americans, I really think we need to rethink that. Our elders have so much to offer, and we need to treat them like that. (laughs) And especially the medical profession, because the medical profession is like, oh, you're old, I'm not going to try anymore, right? Mm -hmm. To sin. Yeah. Now, what about on the flip side? With Speaking of age, I saw an article recently that cancer is showing up in younger generations, younger than we would have expected. Same for chronic disease. We're seeing things like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. 24% of American adults. In children. Yeah. In children. Have it. In children. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, it's awful. I actually had a woman this week who, of course, developed a breast lump at 23, or maybe she could have even been younger, maybe 21. And her doctor said, don't worry, it's nothing. You can't have cancer. You're too young. And I wish that were true, but we don't have too young for cancer anymore. And that is because we are living in an increasingly more toxic environment. And 
like we spoke about before, the breast is especially sensitive to environmental toxins. I want to be clear, breast cancer does not come from estrogen, does not cause breast cancer. I'll say it a thousand times. Estrogen does not cause breast cancer. However, there are a number of environmental estrogens, we call them xenoestrogens, that are surrounding us. And they're places where you don't even think about. So the obvious places are all the plastics, the plastic water bottles, the plastic food storage, the plastic takeout containers, the plastic straws, the plastic cups that you pour your hot water through every morning to make your Keurig coffee. <laughs> yeah. Not picking on Keurig, but I'm just saying that this is the brand that I can remember. Or those beautiful tea bags that are shiny, plastic. We're all drinking this plastic. We're eating the plastic because it's in our ocean. If you're eating seafood or you're eating fish, you're eating all these microplastics. The plastic stuff is a little more obvious. But then there are things that people don't even think about. Whenever I go to the food store and the woman asks me if I want my receipt, yeah, yeah. and I say, I don't want my receipt and you also don't want your receipt. And then I go over to the customer service counter and I say, please stop printing these receipts. Please happier people wear gloves because the truth is that we are absorbing all of this when we touch it. Everyone out there, please don't take cash register receipts. They are plasticized and you are just absorbing that into your mouth. And the worst thing you can do is touch that receipt and then touch your mouth or eat with your hands afterwards. Make sure you wash your hands. But it's things like that. It's fragrance. It's scented candles. It's dryer sheets. Dryer sheets are basically covered in plastic. Some of it is being aerosolized. And some of it, if you're using dryer sheets and then you're putting your clothes on, you're absorbing it through your skin. Or sleeping in the sheets. And, and you're sleeping in the yeah. sheets. That's exactly right. There are so many chemicals that have been introduced in the last 10 years that have not been tested at all. And even if they are tested, they are only tested individually and they're never tested synergistically. And we know that everything acts synergistically. You're getting infinitely more toxic exposure than you could ever imagine. We are not living on our grandmother's earth. We're not even living on our mother's earth. The environment that we're living in today is infinitely more toxic than anything else. And we have the cancer rates and rates of chronic disease to show it. And that's before you even get into the diet and how people are eating. And as you said, we have children with fatty liver. We have children with hypertension. We have children with diabetes. We have children with heart disease. We have children with diseases that were unheard of, unheard of. And if you would have told me that a kid when I was in medical school had hypertension, I would have been like, yeah, you're wrong, or it's something familial, it's genetic. It was unheard of. We didn't learn about it because it didn't exist. And now it's common. The number of children that are obese is exploding. And that is just going to translate into more and more chronic disease. And breast cancer falls right into that pot. I'm glad you mentioned estrogen too, because I was going to point out in all of your recommendations for prevention, blocking, avoiding, getting rid of estrogen was not in any of it. Estrogenic xenoestrogens toxic chemicals are different yeah, for than sure. the estrogen in your body. I want to go back yeah. to that because it's still to this day, as you know, yeah. 
I still receive it in the comments where people go, but estrogen causes cancer, but I can't do estrogen HRT. My great-grandmother had breast cancer. I'm not available to do it. Or when I get my progesterone at the pharmacy, the printout says hormones cause cancer. What do I do? The pharmacy printout says it. I said, oh, I'm having Dr. Jen on. I know. Love that book. First, I'm going to tell everyone that if you have not read this book, Estrogen Matters, you need to read this book. You need to stop what you're doing right now and go get this book. That's the first thing. Let's think about this logically. If estrogen caused breast cancer, that would first mean that God put women on the earth for the purposes of getting breast cancer. Okay? It's ridiculous. It's preposterous. But let's take God out of it. If estrogen caused breast cancer, we would see it in times of very high estrogen states, pregnancy, kids, teenagers. But we don't see breast cancer then because it's not the estrogen. And in fact, the majority of the breast cancers that we see, although it is getting younger and younger, admittedly getting younger and younger, that's an environmental issue and not an estrogen issue. But the vast majority of the breast cancers that we see in the postmenopausal population, now, if you've ever measured estrogen levels in the postmenopausal population, they're hard to find. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they are. It's hard to find. You have to be quite the detective to find the estrogen in a postmenopausal woman. And any woman who has gone through menopause and is not taking hormone replacement will tell you what life without estrogen is like because it sucks. It sucks. Your brain doesn't work. You're depressed. You can't sleep, but you're exhausted. Everything aches. Your bones ache. You walk around in a fog. And even the stuff that you don't know about is happening. Your blood vessels, the health of your blood vessels is deteriorating. The health of your heart is deteriorating. You're losing bone mass at an incredible rate. You have no libido. Your mood sucks. You're snapping at everyone. Your vagina is painful. You can't walk past a bathroom without having to use it because you have no bladder tone. Estrogen is the hormone of life. This is why we have estrogen receptors throughout our entire body. Your skin gets wrinkly. Everything's dry. We need estrogen. We need estrogen. Now, where all of this estrogen causes breast cancer comes from. And it's amazing that's what people remember. But it all comes from the Women's Health Initiative study. It was the largest study of its kind. It will never be repeated again. The original intentions of the study were to determine if hormone replacement therapy actually decreased heart disease. That was the original intention of the study. It wasn't for the vasomotor symptoms. It wasn't to see if we could make people feel better or women feel better. The study was designed to determine if it protected against heart disease. Unfortunately, they took women who were 10 years out from menopause when we know very well that the vast majority of these degenerative changes occur within the first 10 years. And the most benefit that we get from hormone replacement is within the first 10 years, but they picked women 10 years out from menopause and they put them on hormone replacement. And two things happened. First, when they compared the group of women 
who were taking hormone replacement, and I'm talking about a common a combined hormone replacement of synthetic estrogen and progesterone because that's what they used. They did not use bioidentical. They used synthetic. And they compared them to the women that were not taking hormone replacement at all. And there was a slightly higher incidence of breast cancer in the group that is taking hormone replacement. Now, let's say a couple of things about that. First of all, the number was not statistically significant. And we know that we are not supposed to use data that is not statistically significant because that means that it more than likely happened by chance. Okay? That was one of the many, many problems with this study. The second is that in the group that was not taking hormone replacement, they didn't bother to pick women who had never been on hormone replacement. In that group, they actually had a lower than expected number of breast cancers because those women had previously been on hormone replacement. When you compare those two, it looked like there were more breast cancers in the hormone replacement group, but it's actually not true. The third thing that we need to talk about from that study is that only the combined group appeared to have more breast cancers. And the estrogen alone group had less breast cancers. And we know that estrogen alone, which was only given to women without a uterus, because we generally don't give unopposed estrogen to women with a uterus, the estrogen alone group has less breast cancer. How in the world did we come away from that study with estrogen causes breast cancer. It's really immoral. Yeah. It's really immoral. And the people that signed that article that was released by either the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, I don't remember anymore. The people that released that article, it was the wrong thing to do. And they should have been highly penalized for that. It was so morally irresponsible. And as a result of that absolute false information, Decades of women, millions of women have suffered and continue to suffer because there are still doctors out there that have not and will not unring that bell. And I deal with it all the time. Oh, I bet. Let's talk about the breast cancer population because those are the women now that are affected the most. In the breast cancer population, a majority of them will have what's called a hormone-positive tumor. And people think because they have hormone receptors on their tumor that estrogen caused their cancer. It's this kind of logical explanation, which doesn't happen to be true. And what the doctors aren't sharing with women is that, okay, breast cancers may have estrogen and progesterone receptors on them. Guess what? So do normal breast cells. And it's the cancers that have estrogen and progesterone receptors on them that are the more favorable cancers. Why? Because they more resemble normal breast tissue. And it's the cancers without estrogen and progesterone receptors on them that we really worry about because they are more of a departure from normal and they tend to be more aggressive. They don't behave like normal breast cells. Just because your tumor has ERPR receptors on them it doesn't mean that that is a bad thing and doesn't mean that you're not a candidate for hormone replacement. The other thing that we should talk about is that you notice that no one talks about the fact that progesterone causes breast cancer. They only talk about estrogen. Why? Because they have estrogen blockers, but we don't have progesterone blockers. 
That's true. Yeah. This is a concept that was created by the pharmaceutical company for the purposes of serving the pharmaceutical company. But what it doesn't serve is women. And we need estrogen. Estrogen is very important. It's vital of life. I am perfectly comfortable putting women on hormone replacement after they've had breast cancer. When? When we have figured out their why, when we have intervened, when we've gotten their inflammation down, when we've gotten them on a diet that is promoting their health, when they've prioritized sleep, when they're having movement in their lives, when they have healthy ways to manage the stress. When we can put that diagnosis in the rearview mirror, why should they suffer? And hopefully we can get to that point pretty quickly because I don't want them off of hormone replacement for 10 years. I don't want them to have all of those changes. But what I don't want to happen and what I hate to see happening are the women that get a breast cancer diagnosis with a hormone-positive tumor, and then they get placed on an aromatase inhibitor, or they get placed on tamoxifen until they're menopausal and then they're aromatase inhibitor, and all the estrogen is wiped out of their body, and they undergo rapid bone deceleration, uh, bone loss, heart deterioration, brain deterioration, and they are actually quite miserable. And I really believe that we are hurting these women. We are not doing the right thing. When we look at the population of women that is treated for breast cancer and compare them to the general population, these women are two to three times more likely to die of heart disease than the general population. This is a problem. We are causing some of this. This is a problem. We can't trade in one problem for another. It's not right. It's not the right thing to do. And we're hurting people. We're not supposed to. Absolutely. And I understand. I like how you said earlier, the breast cancer target on your back. That's, of course, what a lot of women fear. And we don't think of heart disease, we, even though it's pretty widely spread at this point that we know heart disease is the number one killer of people, women included. And to not, where did that message get missed that we have to take care of our hearts? I know. And our cells and our metabolism and our arteries and the way it circulates all around, that got missed. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's an internal organ rather than an external organ, maybe because we are connected to our breasts in a different way, from a maternal way, from a sexual way, from a personal image way. Maybe that's why, but there is an absolute disconnect between the actual threat to life from breast cancer and the actual threat to life from heart disease. And people are so much more concerned about breast cancer, even though The vast majority of breast cancers are not life-threatening. The vast majority. But you can't say that about heart disease. Like heart disease really, unless you reverse it, and it can be reversed. We've seen that happen time and time again. It can be reversed. You have to work to reverse it, but it can be reversed. But unreversed heart disease only ends one way. There is no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow and the lipid lowering agents and the antihypertensives and the medications that are given for heart failure, they're not doing anything to reverse the process. And the only way to reverse the process is to get rid of the inflammation that's driving it. And it can be done. Yeah. It can be done. Yeah. We see diabetes reversed in days, days. As a medical profession, we need to be more responsible and we need to be clearer with our patients about where their concern should actually lie and help people to be healthy because they can be and you don't have to be perfect. No one's going to be perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. Yeah. But that (laughs) we can all be better. We can all be better. 
Absolutely. Dr. Jen Simmons, this has been absolutely amazing and full of education. Of course, the first question everyone's going to have is, where can they find you? Where can they learn more? Are you seeing patients? Give us all the details. Okay. But you can follow me on all the social media outlets. I'm Dr. Jen Simmons, and my Jen has two N's. (laughs) (laughs) I have a YouTube channel where you can catch up on all my videos. I have a podcast called Keeping Abreast with Dr. Jen. We release a new episode every Monday. I wrote a book called The Smart Person's Guide to Breast Cancer. We'll be sure to give you the link to purchase that. And I do see patients. I don't see a lot of patients because as you can see, I spend a lot of time with people and I want to be able to give them the time that they need. I do have group programs and that's another great way to access me. You can go to my website, which is realhealthmd.com and learn all about what we're doing there and get in touch with us. Amazing. We will be sure to link absolutely everything in the show notes. I just want to say once again, from the bottom of my heart, from my breast, thank you for coming on (laughs) the Root Cause Medicine podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? Our whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing and we appreciate it so much. We'll catch you next time on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast.